Would you please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13? Acts chapter 13. Title of our message today is Being Led by the Spirit. Let's pray and then we're going to dive into this. Lord, we do. We love you. We thank you that you are a father who loves us, who wants to lead us and direct your people. And God, I pray today that as we just bring our hearts before your your word, that you would teach us, that you would speak to us. God, I pray that we would just be open to everything that you have for us today in this time that we would spend together. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when we started our study in the book of Acts last September, we noted that in the book of Acts, the book of Acts really serves as a blueprint for almost everything that we do here in the church. The way that we study the Bible, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, is, is really taken from the commitment that we saw in the early church to doctrine and through teaching the word and just being committed to you know the doctrine of, of the word of God and what God had given to them. The way that we worship is derived from the emphasis that we see in the early church that they placed on worship when they gathered together and how they praised the Lord together. The way that we give, the way that we approach missions and outreach, all of it is derived from what we see and what we've been seeing in the book of Acts And here in Acts chapter 13, we see another picture that has really shaped our church. And the picture that we see here is one that has shaped our church leadership and what we do when we gather together, as well as our church services and what we do when we gather together as a church family. So the title of the message today is Being Led by the Spirit. And Acts chapter 13 gives us this beautiful picture of how the Holy Spirit leads a church. But what we're going to see today also has great application for us as individuals, as people who desire to be led by God. It, it for, for has great application for us as married couples who desire to see our families being led by the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to see as we look at this. And the chapter begins by giving us access to the leadership meeting of the church in Antioch. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Pause there and give me your attention. What we have before us here in Acts chapter 13 is the first organized missions movement in the early church. We've seen in our study in the book of Acts, we've seen the church scattered when the persecution came upon them. Remember, they they scattered out and it said they they went everywhere preaching the word. But here we're going to see the the missionaries being sent, not scattered, but sent. 
This is more strategic. This is more directed by the Holy Spirit. And what I want us to know today as we go through this study is is three keys that we see here in these four verses to being led by the Holy Spirit. And these apply to us as a church, but also as individuals. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to look at today how we need to be united how we need to be yielded, and how we need to be obedient. Let me give you some background to kind of remind you of how the church in Antioch got started. We saw that in Acts chapter 11, where there was these kind of random no-name guys that, that were scattered out and took the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, and they end up in Antioch. And they are t- teaching and talking to the people there about Jesus, and a whole bunch of people come to faith in the Lord. God is moving and working, and the apostles in Jerusalem hear about what happening in Antioch, and they think, we need to send somebody down there who can disciple and encourage and mature, uh, help mature these new believers. And so who better to send than Barnabas, who they nicknamed as the son of encouragement. So Barnabas goes down there, and things begin to grow. They continue to grow. And so Barnabas is in this place where he's like, man, I need help. Who can I get to help me? And he thinks, you know what? Saul. I remember that guy, Saul of Tarsus. And you remember, Saul didn't have the most, he kind of had a rough start in ministry because no one knew what to do with him. He was this former persecutor of the church, and he gets saved, and, and, and people are there questioning, like, is this really, really real? He ends up in Jerusalem, and they're like, yeah, we don't know what to do with him. They end up sending him away, but Barnabas saw potential in him. So Barnabas goes down to Tarsus, which isn't far from Antioch, gets Saul, brings him back. They start teaching together, and they're ministering there in Antioch for over a year, discipling these new believers in the Lord. But the Lord had something new that he wanted Barnabas and Saul to do together. And so what we see here in Acts chapter 13 is the leadership of the church gathering together. The Lord is giving us access to their meeting. And this is the elders, and we're told that they're prophets and teachers. And the first thing I want you to note that we see about these guys is that they're united. And this is a diverse group of guys who all have diverse stories. In this group, we we were told that Barnabas was a part of this group. A native who was a native of Cyprus. There's a black man by the name of Simeon who is from present day Nigeria. There's Lucius of Cyrene. And then there's this guy, Manian, who it says was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. He was actually the foster brother of Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was the guy who had John the Baptist beheaded. So Manian grew up in Herod's vile and polluted family, but the Lord rescues him. The Lord saves him. He ends up in Antioch, and he ends up as part of the leadership of this church. And then we're told, and Saul. Saul, the former Pharisee. Saul, the former terrorist. Saul, the former main persecutor. The guy who went out saying, I'm going to put an end to these followers of Jesus Christ. This is a radically diverse group of guys. But they're all united. And the thing that unites them is that their lives have been impacted by the love of Jesus Christ, that they recognize that they're all undeserving sinners who have been touched by the grace of God. And I got to tell you, when I look out at our church 
family. I recognize that we are a diverse group of people as well. There's people here from all different places and all different backgrounds. We have people in our body who are highly educated, who have had higher education, some doctors and lawyers, but we have others who who their education hasn't gone beyond a, a high school diploma. We have some in our fellowship who have been raised in the church and others who were raised far from it. In our church family are those who have been addicts, drug dealers, alcoholics. We have people in our body who have spent time in jail and spent time in prison. You have no idea who you're sitting next to today. And what's crazy is we also have people in our body who are involved or have been involved in law enforcement. And sometimes I see the prisoner and the former cop sitting next to one another, and I just kind of crack up inside like, there's no way apart from Jesus that these guys would be together. It's amazing what God does. We have people in our body who are really, really into politics. They have a passion for it. And others who, you know, they're, they're you know, being involved in politics as I vote. That's it. We have in our body, we have Republicans. We have in our body Democrats. Yes, we do. We have people in our body who are, who are Democrats. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but we have people in our body who are independents. But the thing that unites us, it's what's out on the sign. What you see when you walk in the building, simply Jesus. That we realize and recognize we're all broken people who are in the process of being transformed by our loving Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And this is what makes the unbeliever, when they come into a gathering like this, take notice. They they hear us explain our hearts to the Lord in worship. And we're all singing in unison. And it's passionate. And, and they see that. And they take notice of that. They go out into the courtyard and they see the community that's happening. And people loving on one another and sharing with one another and praying for one another. And there's nowhere else that they experience that type of connection. And they take note of it. I mean, maybe at a sporting event when they are all gathered together and they're cheering on, you know, their own team and, and, you know, you get a few beers in somebody and everybody's their best friend, right? And so they're, they're cheering and high-fiving and their team scores a touchdown and they're hugging one another and it's like this great unity until the game is over and they're in the parking lot and they're trying to get back on the road. And the whole kumbaya just goes out the window, Right? Hey, get out of my way, you know, that type of thing. But there's a deep connection among people who know that they deserve hell and they've been given heaven. There's a great appreciation amongst people who realize that Jesus took the punishment that they deserved. And we're drawn together by this mutual love and affection that we have for our Savior. And we realize there's this level playing field that that we all are on when Jesus is in our midst. And we realize that it's only because of him that we're even here. 
So this group of men gathered together here in Acts chapter 13, they are diverse, but they are united, and the mark of their being united is seen in what they are doing, and this is easy to miss. Look at verse 2 again, it says, and as they ministered to the Lord, everybody say to the Lord. I want you to note that. As they were ministering to the Lord, not for the Lord, and there's a difference. You see, ministering for the Lord is the acts of service that we do for Jesus. That's what we were doing last week on our trip to Oregon. It was nine days of just pouring out, being poured out and being used in the lives of other people and sharing and teaching and meeting with various pastors and leaders. That, that's ministering for the Lord. It's being poured out. And ministering for the Lord is wonderful, but in order to be poured out, listen, you have to be poured into. The two go hand in hand. And that's what ministering to the Lord is all about. Ministering to the Lord speaks of our worship. It speaks of our devotion. And it's important that we know the difference because we can spend a whole lot of time doing ministry for the Lord and serving without ever ministering to the Lord. A great example of this we see in Luke chapter 10. It happens there in Bethany when Jesus shows up at the house of Mary and Martha, two friends of his. When he was ever in Bethany, he usually would hang out at their house. He comes with his entourage, all of his disciples, and we read there in Luke 10, as they gather, Jesus is like in the living room, and the disciples are all around him. He's given a little teaching, and it tells us that there's Mary, and she's sitting right at the feet of Jesus. She's just soaking in the Word. She's just ministering, just devoted to to Jesus. But then it says this about Martha. But Martha was distracted with much serving. What's crazy about that story is you think about it. Who was Martha serving? Jesus. I mean, you ladies would get this. Uh, you know, 20 people show up at your house and you're like, I got to feed them something. You know, I got to do. This. So she's in the kitchen. You know, she's got the stove going. Pots and pans are going. She's putting things together. But suddenly it dawns on her. Why am I doing this all by myself? And when you get distracted in your serving, this is the, one of the first things that happens. You start to have, look at others in the wrong way. And she's looking at her sister going, where's my sister? Why has she left me to do this all by myself? You know, you get this martyr complex. And it gets so bad that she literally, if you can imagine this, goes into the room, interrupts the Bible study of Jesus. I mean, picture that. Somebody comes through the center doors and walks out. Pastor Rob, not that I'm Jesus, but Pastor Rob, you know, what is going on? I mean, think how, how awkward that would be. She walks in, Lord. She's distracted, and her distraction is causing her not just to see others the wrong way, but also the Lord. She thinks the Lord has neglected her. She says, Lord, you don't care about me, do you? Because if you did, why have you allowed my sister to let me serve alone? And I love Jesus' response. He looks at her. I picture her with a smile on his face. Martha, Martha, you are worried and stressed out about so many things. And I wonder if the Lord might say that to some of us here today. Rob, you're worried and stressed out about so many things. 
you're distracted. And maybe, maybe it's not in serving. Maybe you're distracted because of your finances. Maybe you're distracted because of something going on at your work, or you're distracted because of, of what's happening in your business. Maybe you're distracted by your hobbies, just the things that you've been just giving yourself to. And it's got you in a place where you're not seeing others, you're not seeing Jesus, you're not seeing anything from the right perspective. Jesus says, Martha, you are worried and you are stressed out about so many things, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen the better part. What was Mary doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's ministering to Jesus. She's soaking in the presence of Jesus. And get this, write this down. You have to soak before you serve. It's a key principle. Soaking and serving go hand in hand. You have to soak before you serve. Got a little prop for you today. This is a sponge that hasn't been soaking. It's all dried up. It's you know hardly bendable. No more cushion left in it. It's it's kind of grody. And this this sponge has just been sitting somewhere, not not being connected to the water. In Scripture, water is connected. It's it's symbolic of the Word, and it's just it's been sitting. So it's. It's grody, it's crusty. Is that a picture of your life today? Just dried up, kind of grody, kind of crusty, and that's what's coming out. Maybe it's because you haven't been soaking. You haven't been ministering to the Lord. But here's what's interesting. Here's here's another sponge. This, This sponge, all it's been doing is soaking. It's so saturated, it can't take on any more water. And some people, that's their life. I mean, they just soak and soak and soak. But listen, you can't just soak and soak and soak because in order to, you're supposed to soak and to be poured out. In order for this this sponge to get any more water in it, it needs to be poured out. It needs to be wrung out. Now it can soak again. So soaking and serving go hand in hand, my friends. It's important that we realize that. We need a healthy balance of both. R. Kent Hughes put it this way, worship and service go together and should never be separated. If we try to work for the Lord without worshiping him, we will settle for a legalistic, self-centered service. But if we worship and never work, we will end up with a form of godliness, but no power. And so Jesus says, Mary has chosen the better part. And I want you to note that. Note this, it's a choice to minister to the Lord. It's a choice to soak. We have to make it a discipline. Developing intimacy with Jesus is a choice. It doesn't just happen. We have to be disciplined in our life. We have to be scheduled and schedule that time to spend with the Lord. Let me give you an example. My wife and I celebrated this month 37 years of marriage. Thank you. She's been putting up with me for a long time. And usually once a week, we will go out on a date together. We'll have a date night or a date 
day, it gets scheduled into our week. Now, some of you are thinking, that doesn't sound very romantic, Pastor Rob. But I got to tell you, we love each other deeply. But if we don't schedule those date nights or those date days, they would easily get neglected because life is so busy. And the demands on our time are endless. So we have to schedule special time together. And I'll tell you, sometimes those date days and date nights are amazing. They are incredible. They're so much fun. They're such great connection. But most of the time, they're just really ordinary. Just really ordinary. But, but, but either way, they are essential for keeping us connected and on the same page and helping our love for one another grow and not get stale. Let me give you another example. Our church staff meets every single Tuesday. It is scheduled on our calendar, and we usually begin our staff meeting by ministering to the Lord. We worship together. And then usually somebody brings the word, and it's an encouragement. It's a reminder of our mission and our vision. And we do that every single week because it's so essential for helping us stay connected and stay on the same page. We have so many ministries going on here that it'd be so easy for us to just all be running in our own direction. So we gather together like that. We schedule it in. So I ask you this question. Why, if if regular scheduled meetings and dates are essential for our earthly relationships, why would we think it would be any different in our relationship with Jesus? We must prioritize spending time with Jesus. And that's what this leadership team is doing here. So the leadership team in Antioch, they're united. They're coming together. And I'm sure that the the needs of the church were great. I'm sure there were so many things that they could talk about, but they make it their first priority to minister to the Lord. There's no other agenda that's taking precedent here. Then they're coming and spending this time with Jesus. And this is the pattern that we follow for our leadership here at our church. When we have our monthly meetings, we begin every single one of them by ministering to the Lord. We worship together. We bring our hearts to the Lord. We want to minister to him. Before we talk about any business or any church stuff, we come and it's like, Lord, we're bringing our hearts before you in worship because we believe in this pattern of what we see here. Because what we're going to notice is as after they're ministering to the Lord, the Holy Spirit speaks. And that's, what, that's our pattern. That's why we begin our services here with worship. Because we believe that this time of worship has a way of preparing our hearts to hear from the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that we see here is that they're united together. Diverse group of guys united, and they're united in this one heart, this one purpose in ministering to the Lord. The second thing we want to know is that they were yielded to the Lord. Notice the the second part of verse 2. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. They weren't just ministering to the Lord in worship. They were also fasting. And fasting is that spiritual discipline where we deprave our body or deprive our body of food in order to seek the Lord. And we've talked about how fasting can heighten our spiritual sensitivity. 
When we take times where we normally would be eating to feed our flesh, instead, we're, we're putting that aside to press into the Lord and to seek the Lord. It's a way of yielding ourselves to the Lord. It's a way of making ourselves dependent upon him for our strength and him for our guidance. And so we see this picture of, of these guys as, as they're united, but they're also yielded. And I want you to notice the result of their being united and yielded. The second part of verse 2 says this, And the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. What happened? The Holy Spirit spoke. The Holy Spirit speaks to them. We're not sure how the Holy Spirit spoke, if it was a word of knowledge, if it was audible, if it was a word of prophecy. But as they were united in ministering to the Lord, as they were yielded in fasting, they were putting their hearts in a place for God's Spirit to speak to them. And church, I want you to catch this. Because if you desire to be led by the Holy Spirit in your lives personally, You want the Holy Spirit to lead you and your family. You want the Holy Spirit to lead you in your ministry or lead you in your marriage. This is a great pattern to follow. It starts with a united heart that comes with ministering to the Lord. And that's basically our heart coming and first getting in a place where we're we're just saying, Jesus, it's all about you. As a couple, as an individual, you are it. I I realize that I'm nothing without you. And coming to that place of then being yielded to him in prayer and fasting, you're preparing your heart to hear from the Holy Spirit. And we see here that the Holy Spirit spoke, and it results in a calling, a confirmation, and a commission. Let's notice this. We'll start with the calling. And the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit calls the church here in Antioch to set aside Barnabas and Saul for a special calling, for a special work that he has for them. And this is interesting because these are the two main teachers in the church. This is like the pastor and the assistant pastor. These are the guys that have been teaching, but God was calling them to something new. God was moving, and God wanted to do something new and different with Barnabas and Saul that would be outside of, that would spring out of Antioch, but it would go all around the world. I want you to notice that that calling was also followed by a confirmation. Notice verse 3 says, and then having fasted and prayed. And the idea there is after more fasting and prayer. The idea is they get this word and they're like, okay, let's be sure. Let's keep fasting. Let's keep praying. I think the idea here is that that they broke, that they left that gathering and said, let's take a, a few more days and let's pray on this. Let's fast a little bit more to get confirmation that, that this is what God is really doing. This is big to send these guys out. That's exactly what our leadership team does. When we meet, we rarely make decisions in the moment. Well, something will come up and we'll be talking about it and we'll commit ourselves to take a week or two or sometimes a month to pray, sometimes with fasting, to seek the Lord because we want confirmation. And in our leadership team, when we make a decision, we have to all be unanimous in that decision. 
So we'll break and we'll come together maybe a week later and, and we're looking. And what I'm doing is I'm looking to see if the other guys in the room are going to confirm what I think God's been speaking to my heart. So I'm usually the last person to speak, not the first. Because I don't want my position as the lead pastor to influence anybody else. So I'll say, hey, Al, what's God showing you? And Al will say, well, you know, this week in my devotions, I was reading this, and I felt like, you know, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. It really spoke to this situation. And then Jamie will say, that's no way. I was reading this, and and that just kind of goes right in line. And one by one, we go around the room, and usually it's confirming. And they get to me, and I'm like, that's exactly what God was showing me. It's so good to be in that place where we want to be so led by the Lord that we want that confirmation. I love what these guys are doing here. They're not going out and getting a bunch of people's opinion. Hey, you know, we feel like God told us that Paul and Barnabas are are supposed to go out. What do you think? And listen, the Bible does say there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. That is true. But I love that these guys are just responding to the calling with more fasting and more praying. In other words, they're willing to wait. And I want to encourage you, don't be in a hurry. Some of the most foolish decisions are made in haste. So seeking confirmation is key. And here's why. Because when you take that step of faith, one of the things you can count on is going to follow is opposition. Battle. We'll see that next time in our text. That the first thing, Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Saul, they go out, and then the first thing that happens is they face this opposition there on the island of Paphos, this sorcerer that comes against them. But when you've had that confirmation in the midst of the opposition, you can step back and say, you know, okay, I know that, yeah, this is hard, this is difficult, but I know I'm supposed to be right where I'm supposed to be because God gave that calling and he gave that confirmation. He made it very, very clear to us. If you don't have that, you'll be prone to quit. You'll be prone to run. So I want you to notice after the calling and the confirmation, then there was a commissioning. Look at the second part of verse three says, so they laid hands on them and they sent them away. The laying on of hands signified an identification. It was the idea of saying, we're laying hands on you to say we bear witness with this calling that God has on your life. The laying on of hands also spoke of their unity. It was their way of saying that, that we're in this with you. That as you go out from us, we're going with you in prayer and in the spirit. I love Chuck Swindoll's insight on this. He says, though the laying on of hands or through the laying on of hands, the leaders said, in effect, we endorse you and authorize you to carry out this mission on our behalf. We go with you in spirit as we pray for you here at home. So they were sent. And I love the imagery here. Because this word sent in verse 3 means to be released. It means to be dispatched. So they were releasing them. They were dispatching dispatching them. They're saying, hey, we don't want to hold you guys back in any way from what God has called you to do and the calling that he has upon your life. So we are releasing you guys, and we've got Antioch covered. We'll take care of the body here. But this brings us to the third key to being led by the Holy Spirit, and that's being obedient. Look at verse 4. It says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. Everybody say they went. Here's the thing. When the Lord calls and the Lord confirms, we need to respond in obedience to his direction. You know, the reason why some people are not being used by the Lord is not because God is not speaking. He's speaking, but they're just not responding. 
He wants to do something in their lives, but they're not obeying. And here's what I've learned is that when God, rarely does God ever call you right off the bat to something big. No, he usually calls you to something small. And he wants to see, will you be obedient? You know, before God called me into full-time ministry, he called me to set up chairs. It happened one day when my high school pastor at Calvary Costa Mesa I just heard him, overheard him saying to somebody that he didn't get a chance to go home that Wednesday night before our youth group meeting because he was just so busy. It was a full day, and then he had to set up the whole high school room, like 200-plus chairs. So he's like, I didn't get a time to, chance to go home and eat. I didn't get a chance to see my family. He only lived across the street. And as soon as he said that, the Holy Spirit said to me, you start doing that for him. And so I did. I was going to college at that time. I had a, a job working at a grocery store, but I had Wednesday afternoons off. So I'd go to the church after the school that met there was over, and I'd go up to the big room, and I'd get all the chairs out, and I'd start setting them up in the, you know, the afternoon, and I did that for him. And you know, no one asked me to do that. God did. No one even knew I was doing it for a really, really long time. But I just did it. And I love seeing the look on his face when he'd come that night just refreshed because he had a chance to go home and get something to eat and see his family. And then he's pouring out to all of us high school kids. And what's interesting is that simple act of obedience in that one simple little area led to more opportunities and more open doors. And that's how the Lord works. The Lord tells us he's to be faithful in the little things and it'll lead to more opportunities. And so I ask you this question today. Is, is there something the Lord has been prompting you to do? Be obedient. They went. They didn't protest. Barnabas and Saul weren't like, hey, we're the main guys here. You know, maybe send somebody else. No, they went. They took this as God wanting to do something new with them, and they were ready to take that step of faith. And if you want to be led by the Holy Spirit, you want your family to be led by the Holy Spirit, you want to be led by God's Spirit in your marriage, you want to be used by God, listen, when God calls, you need to be obedient. If we are going to be really united with Jesus in his heart and in his mission to reach lost people that he loves, when he calls us, when he speaks to us to go to our neighbor, when he speaks to us to, to you know, walk to the, the office across the hall from us at work, when he tells us as a, we're a student to talk to that fellow classmate about Jesus or the barista at the coffee shop that we like to go to, we have to respond. We have to be obedient. And when we are, man, watch and see what God does. But I want you to see one more thing. One more thing in verse four, it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. And I want you just to catch that the word sent in verse four is different from the word in verse three. The word sent in verse three is released and dispatched. It's speaking of what the church did to them. But in verse four, the word sent means to be empowered. It's sending out with authority. And this is so good for us to see and so important because it reminds us that when God calls us, he equips us. When he calls us, he equips us and he empowers us. But listen. You will not experience that equipping and empowering until you step out in faith. 
So as we close, church, I believe the Lord wants to lead us into new territories as a church. I think he wants to lead us into new adventures. I think for some of us here individually, God is wanting to do some new things in your life to use you and work through your life. The question is, are you united with him and his mission? Are you saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done? Are you yielded to him? As a believer, are you yielded to the Lord and saying, God, I, w- I, do, uh, w- I want you to do with me what you want to do with me? I think the Lord in our marriages that he wants to lead us. But the question is, is are, are we united as husband and wife? Or are we so focused on our own agendas? Are you yielded? Are you surrendered to the Lord? Are you willing to put aside your agenda and say, God, may your will be done here on earth in my life and in my family as it is in heaven? Lord, I want to be yielded to you. And have you been obedient to maybe that small thing that the Lord has been asking you to do? I'm going to ask the band to come back up right now. And as we close our time today, I think the Lord would have us to spend some time ministering to the Lord. Let's soak. Let's soak in his presence. You see, I I think some of you are like Martha. You have been distracted and worried and stressed by so many things. And you're missing the main thing. And that's you and Jesus. And those things that you're all stressed out about, you need to lay those down at the feet of Jesus. I want you to see something else here today. So, so that grody sponge, I, stick, I stuck it in the water. Look how full it got. Look how spongy. It was all stiff, but now it's so bendable. That's what happens when we soak. It allows the Lord to just meet us and work in our hearts and work in our lives. I think there's some of you here today as we begin to just take this time of worship that you literally, you need to get up out of your seat and come and just an act in a heart of a a visible physical expression of your yieldedness and come and just kneel down front on this padded carpet. That's why we put it here. To just be in surrender and say, Lord, I want to be yielded to you. I want, Lord, not my, my will, not my way, not my agenda, but, but yours. Just to come and confess to him, Lord, I've been distracted. And I want to encourage you to do that. I think there's some marriages here that, that the reason why God hasn't been moving and working is you're not united together. You're pulling against each other instead of pulling with each other. You need to surrender that today. You need to come as a married couple and just come and and just kneel before the Lord, just soak in his presence and just give your heart to him and allow him to do that work in your life today. I want to encourage you to do that. To not worry about, you know, oh, someone's going to see us, they're going to jump to conclusions. Listen, we're all worried, so worried about ourselves, we don't pay attention to you, all right? But you be real with God. Maybe you're here today and and you don't even know Jesus or you're a prodigal and you've walked away from Jesus and and the starting point of being led by him and experiencing him is you have to be surrendered. 
Maybe today you just want to surrender your heart. Whatever it might be, I want to encourage you to respond in obedience. We're going to sing a couple of choruses together and just bring our hearts. And just as a body, we want to just right now just minister to Jesus in worship together, being united together and yielded together. And I believe as we do this, the Holy Spirit is going to be speaking to some of our hearts right now. So Lord, we bring ourselves before you today. And we want to just take this moment right now, God, to minister to you, to soak in your presence. So Lord, have your way with us. Meet us here in this moment. God, we invite you as we bring ourselves united and yielded before you, that God, we we want to hear your spirit speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray for those marriages right now that have been strained or have been divided or been distracted. And God, I pray right now as they they surrender in humility to you, you tell us that that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. God, we want to just humble ourselves before you today, this moment. We thank you, Lord.